everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Training Ground Podcast with your host, Kevin Barry. Just want to take a quick moment to wish everybody a happy new year and hopefully a better year than last year by most extents. In this episode, we'll be going over 20 tips to help you from a training perspective for 2021 to have your best year yet. So let's get it going. With the new year starting, I thought it'd be a good idea to make a podcast and have some of my top tips that I've picked up um, in the past year and over the past couple of years, really, as a soccer player, strength conditioning coach, and just somebody that was interested in fitness. So in total, we have 20 tips that will help you out for your most successful year yet in 2021. Not all of these tips are going to be applicable for you. If they are, that's great. But if not, maybe it's only one or two takeaways you have. I'm sure it will still help with your training. So broken these tips down into habits, mindset, nutrition, as well as strength conditioning. So without further ado, let's go over tip number one. The first one is to log your workout. So it doesn't really matter if it's paper and pencil or if you have an app or you put it in your notes, but you do want to record what you're doing each day and there's a couple of reasons the first thing when your motivation is low you can look back and see oh here's where i was two weeks ago three weeks ago six weeks ago so you do need to log your workouts also you can't really progress if you don't know what you're doing in the past and where you want to be in the future as well so if you're doing three sets of six in three or four weeks are you still doing three sets of six are you still going to do it at the same weight so it does help to have a reference point with looking back as well the other way this can help on the conditioning aspect with logging your workouts and it's a little bit easier now with people having garmin watches and fitbits and everything like that but if you log your workouts and you notice that you've gotten an injury that you didn't really expect you can take a look at your log and look back where was the point that you did get injured so maybe you were running too many miles or your intensity was a little bit too high so by logging your workouts you can have a reference point for um, any issues you have had injury wise and then you can also look forward to the future as well by logging the workouts so that's tip number one is to log your workouts or your training sessions if you're not already doing so tip number two is to get a training partner if you don't have one already um big thing on this end for some it can be a sense of just motivation for others it's education and experience for me it was a little bit of both so i've had training partners for strength and conditioning for a while i've also had some people i've looked up to when i played soccer in college and even underage at home in ireland so by having a training partner hopefully you want to train a partner that's a little bit stronger or faster, older, more experienced or more powerful from you. That will help set your goals a little bit higher and kind of get you out of that comfort zone as well. So if you're an under 16 player playing soccer, maybe you can train with the U team under 18 or 20s or 23s. The standard of play is going to be faster. You're going to have to think faster. If it's within a gym sentence specifically, try and get with somebody that has a little bit more experience and almost use them as a free uh, personal trainer. They're going to look out for you at the end of the day. They want you to be successful. So tip number two is to get a training partner so that you can be accountable for your own sessions. Tip number three is to get more sleep. This is a common one, especially among student athletes that I work with. 
if there is one common denominator for hundreds of athletes across the board is that they don't get enough sleep. Uh, a couple of reasons into this, but you do want to increase your sleep each day. And again, there are a couple of reasons, but one of the big ones is ghrelin is released in your body. So ghrelin is a hunger hormone and it is released a little bit more if you don't get much sleep. So on that aspect, if you're struggling to lose weight and you're only sleeping five, six hours per night, this could be a big factor. The other thing with lack of sleep, there are some research studies on these and I'll link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough sleep, your injury risk and your recovery potential does change as well. So you're more likely to get injured and you're not gonna recover as well for your next training session if you get uh, a lack of sleep. So we can put out some big numbers, like you should get eight, nine, 10 hours, but if you're starting at seven, try and get seven hours, 15 minutes, try and get an extra 15, 30 minutes per day. And this might not be something where you're gonna say right away, in day one, I'm gonna get an extra hour or two of sleep, but look to build in an extra 10, 15 minutes where you're going to sleep a little bit earlier one thing that does help is keeping your phones out of the bedroom so there's no blue light, um, dark curtains, and a cool temperature. So if you do have air conditioning, try and set it a little bit lower. If you're over here in the US, we're looking at 68, 67, somewhere around there. Um, but tip number three is to get more sleep. Tips four through nine will be some nutrition recommendations. So number four is dump the pre-workouts or limit the caffeine consumption for all your training sessions. Big thing for the pre-workouts, it's almost masking uh, what the real issue is. So if you need pre-workout for every training session, what's the real reason behind that? Is it going back to sleep where you're not getting enough? Or is it simply you're not enjoying your workouts, your training sessions, and you need almost motivation to get through it? If it's the first one where you need more sleep, look to work on that long term. If it's the second one where you're just not motivated, maybe you need to train, change your training session up, or maybe you need to go to a different outlet. You know, strength and conditioning is not for everybody, but it is a broad spectrum. So. If you're struggling in the gym or walking on a treadmill, maybe you can go to a spinning class or pick up some different activities. But there will be a time and place where caffeine consumption or pre-workouts might be warranted. But if you're doing it every day, then you're going to run into some bigger issues from there. There is a small caveat with that. If you drop the pre-workout for most of your sessions, caffeine consumption can be a big performance enhancer. This is particularly among aerobic exercise. So if you're running a competitive race like a 5K or a 10K, having caffeine right before that, we're looking at about three milligrams per kilogram of body weight. So most people are gonna be between two and 400 milligrams of caffeine. If you have that before the workout, that is gonna um, increase your performance. But if you take it every day, um, you're not going to see as much of a benefit from there. So number four is dump the pre-workouts every day or look to use caffeine consumption very sporadically to improve performance. Number five is to get enough protein in your day. This one can be tough if you are trying to lose weight 
Um, I've, I've seen a lot where meeting that RDA for protein can be difficult. So there's a couple of numbers out there. Um, some people will say it's one gram per pound of body weight. Um, some of the research I've looked at through uh, Masters in Nutrition online is about 1.6 grams per kilogram is where it starts to level off. There were some recommendations in the research that I read that for protein, you can go four meals throughout the day. So if you go breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then a nighttime meal and try and get 0.4 grams per kilogram in each meal, that will be a great benefit for you. So 1.6 grams per kilogram, that can go up to about two grams per kilogram. Uh, if you're in a, a big weight loss phase and you're trying to preserve lean muscle mass. So look at protein, even post-workout, you can have a protein shake with 20, 30 grams of protein for you know between 100 to 130 calories or so. When you are looking at protein supplements, just look to make sure that the carbohydrate content is, is only about two or three grams or so. So number five is to meet your protein intake per day or increase if you're not there at the moment. Number six for nutrition is to take creatine. Uh, this one might sound a little bit odd for a lot of people because back in the day, creatine could almost be seen as like a steroid or it's bad for your kidney or your livers, a lot of issues like that. But from a strength and power perspective, you should be taking creatine. So if you're a track athlete or um, any of your sports involve a, a high intensity component, creatine consumption is a good idea. Um, some of the more recent research coming out on creatine has shown that it's helped with depression, brain health, and um, things like that. So it's not just from a performance aspect. It can be just activities of daily living and just general mood that creatine surprisingly um, helps a lot of people out. For creatine itself, um, there are a couple of different brands or products you can go with. There's not a huge difference really. They mix a little bit different, but creatine is very inexpensive. If you are trying to start taking creatine and budget is a concern, look at taking creatine monohydrate. You don't need to do a load and dose. That's a common misconception. So you don't need to take, you know, 20 grams a day for seven or 10 days. What you can do is just take five grams per day. So there's usually a measuring servant in most of the products or containers you'll get. Uh, but if not, about five grams, is, it's almost a tablespoon. So tablespoon per day, it doesn't really matter what time you take it at. Uh, just try and be consistent with it so you do get in a pattern or routine and, and don't forget it, you know, three or four days a week out of seven. So number six is to take creatine if you're not already doing so. Number seven is to increase your water consumption each day. And uh, there are a couple of things I can push on on that. But the main one is when you have activities, it's um, weightlifting or strength training or you're running. The research says to try and look towards around 400 milliliters per hour or so, about half a liter or somewhere around uh, 12 to 16 ounces per hour um, of water. That's going to change depending on temperature, humidity, whether you're inside or outside. But as a general rule, try and get 
a bottle per hour and you should be in a good spot. Um, lack of water is going to lead to dehydration. It's going to decrease performance and that can change mood and a couple of other things too. So if you want to be at your best, during your training sessions, try and get about 400 milliliters of water per hour. So number seven is get enough water in your training sessions and throughout the day. Number eight is what I call the 1% rule for weight loss and gain. So if in 2021, your goals include gaining a certain amount of weight or losing a certain amount of weight, let's let's start off with unrealistic goals. So the 1% rule kind of keeps you accountable for weight loss and gain. And basically what it says is you should only be losing or gaining at the very most 1% body weight per week. So this as a simple example, if I'm 200 pounds and I want to lose 10 pounds, should I try and lose it in two or three weeks? Well, the 1% rule would say that at 200 pounds, 1% there is two pounds. So I'm going to lose two pounds a week. If 10 pounds is my goal, I'm going to do it over five weeks. You can lose weight much faster than you can gain weight. So if you lose more than 1%, of body weight a week the chances are you're losing some muscle mass in that and then that's going to bring down how many total calories you burn per day over time as well and also if you're trying to gain weight and you're hitting over one percent per week you're gaining too much excess body fat okay so for beginners the one percent rule applies for weight loss and gain for anyone that's intermediate or advanced as far as strength training goes or condition, the 1% rule will apply for weight loss, but as a gain, you might only be at 0.25 or half a percent per week. You know, if you're gaining 10 pounds in 10 weeks as a beginner, that might not be unusual, but if you're four, five, six years into training, You'll be lucky to gain, you know, four, six, eight pounds throughout a full year program. So tip number eight is the 1% rule. Keep it in mind if you do weight loss or weight gain goals um, in 2021. Number nine is to track food intake every couple of weeks. Now, there can be some issues with tracking your food intake every day and measuring everything out. I think that is going to lead to some issues long term so be wary of that at the same time most people's food intake doesn't really change you know day to day or week to week if you're eating the same meals or you're going to the same restaurants ordering the same food things like that personally i like to track my food intake for two or three days every you know six to eight weeks to see am i meeting the calorie goals that i kind of had set out Um, Am I getting enough vegetables? Am I getting enough fruit? You know, is there anything that does need to change? So by recording over a two or three day period, that will be more like your average versus, you know, if you're going for a single day of tracking and it's a Monday and that's your best day of you never really eat anything unhealthy, it's not really giving you a clear picture of, you know, what your average food intake is going to be. So Number nine is to track your food intake every couple of weeks and just ensure that you are meeting some of those goals that you had set out. Tips 10 through 17 will cover strength and conditioning. So tip number 10 is to make your warm up specific to the activity. And I see this one 
uh, going wrong a lot of the time, to be honest, in recreational gyms. So, for example, if you have a chest and back day or chest and tries, there's not much value in getting 10 minutes on a bike, for example. You're not really going to move your upper body at all. You're going to move your lower body. And your upper body is really not going to be prepared for the demands that you set out for those training sessions. So with your warm up, make it specific to the activity. So if you're going for an interval day where it's high intensity and you're getting a lot of sprints in, your warm up should build up to a sprint. Now, I know this might seem like common sense, but I see it go wrong a lot of the time. If it's an upper body session, are you getting some upper body mobility in, some light work, some stretches? so that your upper body is ready to go. If it's a day where you're focused on more power and plyos, jumps, your warm-up should probably include some lower intensity jumps as well. So whatever your activity is for that day, try and match your warm-up towards that goal, okay? So you might not want to go 10 minutes on the bike or a 10-minute walk every time you step into the gym. Match your warm-up to the activity. So Tip number 10 is to change your warm-up based on what you're doing, okay? Tip number 11 is to add some single leg training or frontal plane movement to your training. This one is a biggie if you're in the soccer world, if you're in the fitness world and you're trying to increase your sport and activity. So look to add some single leg training, frontal plane movement. So a frontal plane movement, it's basically anything you're doing side to side. Um, These are often neglected in programs because the weight's not heavy enough or maybe it feels like you're not working hard enough but most sports is played in 360 degree multi-directional movement Uh, so your training should really reflect that and I do have a case study that I will post um, online sometime about a friend of mine that was doing no frontal plane movement no lunges or any type of movement and kept getting hamstring and groin injuries Um, This can be an issue if you're following bodybuilding type programs. They'll rarely have single leg training or frontal plane movement. They'll cover a lot of the bigger exercises. But keep in mind, if you are an athlete or anybody that's recovering from injury, you do want to get some single leg training in your program each week. So tip number 11 is to add single leg training if you're not already doing so. If you are, look to add some frontal plane movements into your programming. Number 12 is to have a component for power development. So power development is key, especially in our older athletes, if you're 30, 40, 50, even into your 60s and 70s. Your power output is one of the first things to go so you can increase or maintain your power development through a lot of different exercises, body weight based with plyos or jumps. Med balls are a great tool for this as well. And there are some other movements that you can do from a power development perspective. Power development actually can be can be fun to train. Uh, Let's not lie about it. You know, you can do some box jumps, broad jumps, um, like some med ball throws for distance. But adding just even a single exercise or two every week for a power development perspective will go a long way in your sport performance. And then it will also help out just long term with maintaining muscle mass, maintaining coordination. Um, if you're an older adult and you're just starting training. So number 12 is to have a component for power development in your training. Number 13 is to have key performance indicators or KPIs, what they call them in strength conditioning. So a 
KPI really measures um, your level of success, basically. So I had an old lecture in undergrad that said, if you're not assessing, you're just guessing. I think there was a lot to that. So what exactly would be a key performance indicator? Well, it depends on what your sport is or what your goals are, but KPIs will change based upon that. So for example, if I'm working with a soccer player, maybe the key performance indicator is a 20 meter time sprint. Does it get better? Is it changing? We might also look at a squat max or we can look at a timed mile or a 12 minute run, for example. So a key performance indicator is usually numerical numbers and they're not subjective. They're not, oh, I want to start on a team because the athlete has no control over that, right? It's the coach that makes the decision at the end of the day. So key performance indicators you use to see is your program and working as well as you want it to be? Um, are you not making progress or um, even over time, you know, key performance indicators can change for you. So what you consider important now, with if you want to increase your max squat or your max strength, that could change if you're out of season or in season. So have some key performance indicators and look to refer back on those to see if your training is working as it should be. So number 13 is to basically have a goal or have key performance indicators, which will tell you if you're on the path to success. Number 14 is to change programs every three to six weeks. This one uh, is often forgotten, especially among new exercises. They'll try and keep the same program for, you know, eight, 10, 12 weeks, and then motivation goes down, results goes down, boredom increases, and then before you know it, they quit the gym. So look to change your program every about six or eight weeks if you're a beginner. Uh, if you're an advanced athlete, you might need to change it even every three or four weeks. So at my university where I work at, we'll change programs between every three to six weeks, depending on the athlete, the team, whether it's in season, out of season, etc. These don't have to be massive changes by any means. So if we're looking at a strength perspective, if we're changing a program, we might go front squat instead of back squat or trap bar deadlift or deadlift. Change some of your bigger exercises every couple of weeks. If it's something where you're just running, change your distances. Maybe you go slower, but for a longer distance. Maybe you go faster, get some intervals in. Don't keep your distance the same every single week uh, because you will get burnt out with that. So you're going to want to have some up phases, some down phases as well. So look to change your programs every couple of weeks. So three to six weeks is tip number 14. Tip number 15 is to have a down week every so often or a recovery week. And this is a, can be an issue for some people about really taking advantage of, you know, what a down week is. A down week is not taking the whole week off. So it's a recovery week, right? You're going to still come into the gym. You're going to still take your routine. You're still going to get your work in, your sets and your reps. Okay, The big thing that you will want to change in a down week is the intensity or the volume. Okay, So if I'm running, say, 20 miles week one, 20 week two, week three, you know, maybe I only run 10 or 12, 14 miles week four. That'll give your body a chance to kind of recover, reset, and then build a bigger base for weeks five going on from there. So we'll have a down week within strength and conditioning within some sports teams. 
And what we'll basically look at is maybe we drop off squat for a full week or we change the weight. A good rule of thumb for a down week is to perform exercises at about 60% intensity. So it should feel light, it should feel warm up, and by the end of the week, you should be feeling a little bit more refreshed. But resist that urge or that temptation to try and bang out a PR or be at your, your best during that down week, okay? So tip number 15 is to add recovery periods or down weeks into your program. Tip number 16 is to keep rest periods consistent. So looking back to number one, where we talked about have a log, you should also look to keep your rest periods consistent from exercise to exercise. Okay, so for example, if I'm looking to do two 300 yard shuffles, and my time on week one is 60 seconds, but my time on week four is, you know, 55 seconds. If your rest is different between rep to rep, that's gonna change your performance. Um, or, and it's gonna change, you know, what those measures are for you. So the real way to have validity is to keep your rest periods the same. So if you're doing dumbbell press for three sets of eight, a couple of weeks later, your three sets of eight, and you've gone up in weight, have you gone up in weight because you've gotten stronger or just because you know you took 10 minutes to text in between sets and you're fully recovered? So look to keep your rest periods consistent in your training from exercise to exercise. Um, so what you're measuring is valid over time. This can be a, a little bit of a surprise for some people, actually. If you're used to talking with friends and your sessions are an hour and 15 minutes or you're two hours in the gym, just by having a stopwatch or an alarm go off in between sets can really increase the intensity and really increase your results as well. So tip number 16 is to keep your rest periods consistent. Tip number 17 is the 80-20 rule, what I call. So the 80-20 rule will basically be that 80% of your exercise should be accessory-based or dumbbell-based if you're in the weight room, okay? So dumbbell, band, body weight, and then about 20% of your exercise is barbell. Uh, two reasons for this. The first one is overuse. So if you're doing you know, four or five of your exercises are um, all barbells, you're gonna get burnt out because chances are the weight's heavier in barbell versus dumbbell the pattern or the movement pattern is bigger as well and your recovery is going to be inhibited uh, if you're doing just barbell work throughout the full week so from a practical perspective if you have five exercises in your training program just have a single one that's barbell and have the other ones that are dumbbell the 80 20 if you have 10 exercises look to hit eight dumbbell body weight band you know something that's not barbell based in your training um, and you'd be surprised kind of how easy it is to set that template in your training. And then you'll be a little bit surprised your soreness is going down. But by adding the dumbbell body weight, the band work into your training, you are going to increase um, some power development, which we've talked about, single leg training, front of plane movement, which we've uh, talked about as well. And it's also going to change your programming. Um, you're going to have to have some more ideas down the road for dumbbell bodyweight based training. Okay, so tip number 17 is 80-20 rule or prioritize dumbbells, bands, bodyweight over barbell where possible. Okay, 
tip 18, 19, 20 don't really have a great section, but I think there's some important points. Tip number 18 is to have the correct footwear for activity. So if you're in the gym and you're serious about your training, there's a couple of options you can do as far as um, footwear goes for weightlifting. You can get weightlifting shoes, which will help with front squats or cleans, things like that. They are a bit of an investment though. You know, you're looking at from a dollar perspective, you know, 60 to $100. They can be about 80 to 100 euro, um, depending on where you're looking at. These have a solid heel that's elevated, so that can help getting into a better position for front squats, getting you set up for deadlifts, cleans, things like that. Another option for footwear is to go with the Chuck Taylors or Converse. They're a popular option for powerlifting, so bench squat or deadlift. Um, Chuck Taylors or Converse can be an option for some people uh, because they have the rubber hard sole and then they're flat as well. So. The problem with some of the footwear, some lighter stuff with sponge, um, like running shoes, they're really not going to provide much stability at heavier weights. So you do want a stable shoe, an Olympic lifting shoe and Converse Chuck Taylors do help with that. Um, at the same time, you, you know, you don't want to go out wearing your Olympic lifting shoes to run a 10K race. You want some protection for your feet. That will change depending on your arch as well. What I did actually a couple of years back was looked at, you know, which my athletes are running the most. And the obvious answer is this cross country, you know, they're running 60, 80 miles a week. So I kind of asked them, what shoes are they wearing? And then oh, I based my own decision based on that. So um, there are a couple of different running um, footwear options, but personally, I'd like to go with ASICs or ASICs, uh, some people would call them. Um, but your footwear should change depending on your activity. So number 18 is to keep your footwear in mind uh, for your activity. Number 19, I'll probably get some slack for this one, but take care of your hands and feet. Um, if you really need to wear gloves in the gym, wear gloves. I know it's kind of frowned upon or laughed upon by a lot of people, uh, including our own weight room. But the reality is you don't really want blistered hands or bloody hands that you know, impact your ability to train. Same with your feet. You don't want to have blisters. So take care of your hands and feet. It might be just a case of using chalk for some of your barbell based movements like gymnastic chalk. If you really need to wear gloves, you can go with gloves if it's going to affect your ability to regularly perform, you know, strength training. Um, take care of your feet too. Look to avoid blisters there's a couple of things you can do um, lace your shoes a little bit differently get special socks uh, make sure your shoes fit correctly so going back to the footwear um, look to avoid ingrown toenails as well so cut your nails frequently uh, but take care of your hands and feet that really shouldn't impact your ability to train and if it does you know you're, you're in a, a bit of an issue from there that's a bit of a problem um Blisters can be painful and it can take, you know, a week or 10 days out of your training, especially if you're um, training on AstroTurf. So keep that in mind if you're an athlete on AstroTurf. Um, look to take care of your feet, especially. So number 19 is take care of your hands and feet. And then lastly, number 20 is to just enjoy the process. Um, 
have short-term goals, medium-term goals, long-term goals, but you really should be doing this for yourself, you know? If it's a case of you're doing it just to prove other people wrong, that motivation is going to be short-term. You know, you're not going to want to wake up at six, seven o'clock in the morning to get a training session in four months later. Um, You really need to enjoy the process and have it be for you. You know, you want to get better at the end of the day, whatever your goals are, have it be your goals, your process, and everything's internal. Um, It does help some people to post online where they're at now, so for social media accountability, but the process really is yours, you know. Um, So hopefully the previous 19 tips up to today, so 20 tips in all, will help you out with your training. Um, I would like to hear from you. So if you have one or two um, habits or mindset um, things you like to look at that aren't on this list, feel free to let me know and look to add them in and blogs, websites, things like that. So that is the 20 tips for your best New Year's in 2021. Hope you enjoyed.